This is Talk of the Town, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We're going to take you back 250 years in just a moment. Our program is heard on Magic 590 and 100.5, plus 1410 and 96.9 in the Lake George Glens Falls region. Our guest is Beth Hill, president and CEO of Fort Ticonderoga in Ticonderoga, New York, a major historic site and visitor destination in the North Country. The fort was used in the 1700s by the Americans and British, but it was built by the French, who called the fort on Lake Champlain Fort Carrion. Beth Hill, your main focus this season is the battle for Fort Carrion, which took place in 1758. Well, one of our innovations as a museum and historic place is every year uh, we reinvent ourselves, if you will. Uh, And that means that every year we highlight a different aspect of our epic story here at Ticonderoga. Uh, So this year our interpretive focus uh, is 1758, uh, which is this epic year uh, that highlights uh, the struggle for North America between England and France. Uh, and their empires. Uh, so, uh, so yes, indeed, the French uh, uh, created or uh, initiated Fort Carrion in the year 1755. Construction was well underway in 1756. It was a launching point um, to uh, attack the British uh, northern part of their empire here uh, in the, the North American colonies. Uh, and, um, and really, if you think about this part, Part of uh, from Lake Champlain down to the southern end of Lake George being a no man's land where mm-hmm. this constant skirmish was happening. Um, so this year's focus with 1758 really gives us this opportunity to highlight this pivotal year in North America's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and the British uh, uh, intended to, to defeat, the, defeat New France, to defeat the French in the North American Empire, and invested significantly in the number of troops and resources. Uh, and it was here at Carrion, um, or, or the preparation for the capture of Carrion, um, that the British amassed the largest army uh, to date in North America, more than 16,000 troops under General James Abercrombie. Uh, and it was, it was a, a remarkable logistical feat uh, in bringing his army to Ticonderoga, more than 1,000 boats. Uh, and I love when I'm out on Lake George to envision this, more than 1,000 boats, more than seven-mile-long armada of 16,000 men um, set about going north to take uh, carry-on. Montcalm, uh, the Marquis de Montcalm, who was um, the general uh, in charge of uh, French forces uh, in Canada, uh, was uh, was here at Carrion, only had about 4,000 soldiers uh, and um, knew there was a large army coming towards him. Uh, and so in just a few short days, built this extensive line of uh, defenses uh, protected by abattis uh, and dropping down on the cliffs that extended this whole peninsula and, uh, and, and then prepared for the British attack. Hmm. You use the word, I, I don't really know, abati, what, what is that? 
Yeah, so it's part of a, uh, a defense system in the 18th century, but we still see it today and used with the military uh, through uh, different mediums. So, so in the 18th century, they uh, would cut treetops, you know, about 20 feet tall and create this entangled barbed wire that would then, you know, be put into trenches. So when uh, the enemy would try to approach, they'd get completely ensnared in this and make for easy fodder for the, uh, the army trying to defend the location. Wow. And so the defense of the fort, to some extent, was outside the fort. Absolutely. And, you know, this is somewhat of a, uh, I think, a misunderstanding about Ticonderoga in general, um, because a lot of people who have come to visit us as a museum and historic place in the 20th century and now even into the 21st century um, think of the fort and really think about the reconstructed and restored fortification uh, that, you know, incredible Vauban uh, star design fort uh, that we have, which really did sit as a central location. Uh, but for every army that was here in the 18th century, beginning with the French, there were military fortifications and defenses that extended from Lake George uh, all the way to Lake Champlain. And uh, as for the Americans, it went all the way into present-day Vermont at Mount Independence, uh, which is a part of our property today. Uh, so there were defenses across the entire peninsula and also at the landing at Lake George in the northern part of Lake George. So Montcalm knew that with only 4,000 troops and a significantly larger number of British troops, he wasn't quite sure how many, but knew significantly larger, that he would never be able to hold um, the core fort of Fort Carrion um, under siege. So, um, you know, learning from his experience uh, in the wars in Europe uh, prior to uh, his service here, uh, he went out from the the central fortification and on the heights of Carrion, which is that raised hill um, that people drive through on their way out of our property, uh, and he he dug extensive trenches. And you know, there's just great documentation and letters and accounts mm -hmm. and journals uh, in our museum holdings that describe the French officers, you know, hand in hand working with the enlisted soldiers, digging the trenches, knocking down the forest to then create the the log wall and the abatis that stretched across mm -hmm. the entire peninsula, um, which we still have today on our property. So in 1758, the Battle of Carrion, the French prevailed. The British had to give up the attempt to take the fort? Absolutely. And, and it was a stunning victory uh, for the French. And uh, in fact, Montcalm erected a cross after and said, surely it was through God's grace and, and an absolute miracle that, that they were able to defeat the British. It was um, a, the result of a number of mistakes uh, on the British side and happenstance or you know misfortune. Um, when the British landed on July 6th, um, the very young and charismatic Lord Howe uh, was uh, leading the troops upon landing and uh, got into a fierce firefight uh, with a French patrol. And although the French took uh, quite a hit on July 6th, the, the greatest loss, uh, at least for the British, was Lord Howe, um, who was killed almost instantly. And Howe really had the morale of the British uh, army and was the, the front leader. Um, Abercrombie was uh, less inspiring to the troops and um, and then there were some other miscalculations with uh, you know as the, the British attempted to capture carry on um, the battle itself uh, was on July 8th and um, 
it was uh, in all at the end of the day uh, became the the bloodiest day in North American history all the way until the American Civil War. Um, there were more than two. 2,600 casualties. Mm. Um, almost 2,000 of those were British, uh, and um, and and some some staggering losses, particularly with the 42nd Highlanders, who later became known as the Black Watch. Um, out of their thousand men, there were over 600 casualties, uh, and the British, although they still had significantly more troops than the French, um, reeled back to Lake George. I mean, just in complete chaos. And um, and fled back to the southern part of the lake, and um, went into winter quarters in in August. And you know the French, you know, were still uncertain were they going to come back and attack the next day because they knew they were still so outnumbered. Um, but it was it was just a staggering loss for the British, and and it really seared Ticonderoga in the memory uh, and in the minds of the Atlantic world at that time as this impenetrable fortress. Uh, and the echo of this epic battle and the bloodshed and the loss um, reverberates even you know into the revolution when um, the Americans are entrenching those same lines where the battle took place and, and called it Liberty Hill. And Anthony Wayne writes to Benjamin Franklin and says, we're going to give the British what they got here at Ticonderoga. <laughs> and, um, and it's powerful because a lot of the men who served under the British at the Battle a carry-on also ended up serving uh, in in the American forces mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. the Revolution, whether it was uh, provincial or, or uh, continental army or state militias or you know a variety of other mm-hmm. uh, ways. Now, how will you um, commemorate this the, uh, the, these events this summer? Do you have special programs? I mean, people reenactors, things like that, or, or what are you doing? Absolutely, Bob. So we have a phenomenal staff. Um, we employ um, close to 100 employees, 30 year-round full-time. We have a public history department that uh, is, is led by incredible museum professionals. And we start our research uh, over a year in advance for each year that we're interpreting. Uh, so that starts it's uh, in our museum collections, looking at original uniforms and documents and archaeological items. We have more than 300 100,000 archaeological items for our staff to review. Uh, and then uh, then it goes to our historic trades department where our tailors and shoemakers produce the uniforms um, that will represent that year's historic interpretation. Our, um, our, the whole story arc of um, the narrative of the year finds its way in more than 14 tours a day. Um, it influences what we grow in our garrison garden, what the noonday means meal is for the troops um, here. So every day at noon, our visitors will see, you know, not only what was grown in the garden, but the rations that were given to those troops and how they cook them in the camp kitchens and in the officers' quarters. It finds its way, the story finds its way into our thrilling musket and cannon demonstrations, which highlight the, that particular year and the French um, strategy and tactics and uh, military science. Um, it finds its way into the fatigue duties that our soldiers, our staff members are implementing every day, uh, and in, even into our family programs and our exhibitions and our boat tours and our Mount Defiance experience. So across our 2,000 acres, um, there are programs 
four, more than 14 tours a day and exhibitions and programs that highlight this story. Beth Hill from Fort Ticonderoga is our guest on Magic 590's Talk of the Town. Beth has explained to us the fort is emphasizing the year 1758 in its programs this season. That was the year a force of 15,000 British soldiers were repelled by just 4,000 French defenders at the fort. But Beth, the next year, didn't the British come back to the fort and take it from a small garrison? Absolutely. You are right, Bob. Um, that is true. So uh, while uh, carry-on was a huge victory for France in 1758, um, the uh, the French were experiencing some staggering defeats uh, at Fort Duquesne to the south and, um, and also to the north uh, in Canada. And so by 1759, um, the French resources were really dwindling. And, you know, I think it's important for everybody to keep in mind, although here in North America we call it the French and Indian War, it's part of a global seven years war. Uh, so the British and French were fighting uh, all over their empire. In fact, Winston Churchill refers to this war as the First World War. And um, and so the French were not able to hold carry-on uh, in 59, and General Amherst uh, learned lessons from previous att- the previous attempt to capture uh, carry-on, and, uh, and in mm-hmm. fact, in July of 1759, the British secured it. If we can go back to the, the present day, if you will, I think you started this last year, but it continues this year. You have carry-on boat crews, you, you have a... A replica? Is it a replica of a boat from the uh, 1700s? We do have a, a wonderful boat, uh, the carry-on, and we do boat tours. Uh, we do three boat tours a day in July and August, uh, two uh, in uh, May and June a day, uh, and of course we're open seven days a week, and then into the fall we do tours as well. Um, the boat itself, uh, I think is, it's, a fun, it's a fun boat in that it reflects other layers of our story, um, because we also have a fabulous 19th century and 20th century story here on our property. The boat is a reproduction boat from um, really the late 19th century of a mm-hmm. touring boat. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's referred to as a Thousand Islands touring boat, mm-hmm. uh, but I've seen images uh, from our region as well on Lake George with a boat that looks like it is 60 feet long. It seats about 40 people, and uh, we do narrated boat tours. We have sonar so we can see all of the amazing underwater archaeology uh, along our two-mile coastline here on Lake Champlain. And across the lake, we have incredible features, uh, such as the American Bridge from the Revolution. Um, There are shipwrecks. Um, There are even uh, train cars underwater, um, highlighting kind of the 19th and 20th century history. So it's a wonderful addition. And um, between our boat and all the activities we have across our property and our gardens and Mount Defiance, we've created such a big experience, Bob, that now um, our tickets are buy one day get the next day free just because our guests see that there's so much to do and we don't want to, we don't want them to have a hard time mm-hmm. trying to make a decision to pick so a lot of our guests are coming back a second day to get the most mm-hmm. of their Fort Ticonderoga experience and let me ask you about your interactive family program what is that yeah so we're very excited this year to unveil Voyage New France 
um, which is a family adventure. And uh, so that will be in July and August. And it's a self-guided program um, where families will be able to uh, participate in working side-by-side with our our soldiers from 1758. uh, And they'll have key locations to visit and activities to do, such as making a toque, which is a, a French cap, uh, and uh, and helping the shoemakers and working in the garrison gardens. And if they complete uh, several of the tasks, uh, the families return to our officer of the day quarters and uh, and the kids will win prizes. And I think the word is that it's going to be an awesome reproduction gold coin from uh, 1758. Mm. And in addition to the fort, you've also got gardens and, and animals there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our gardens uh, date back, uh, even back before uh, European contact, when um, this area was uh, an area of conquest between Native Americans. Um, But as the European armies came in, starting with the French, um, the French built their their garrison garden, the Jardin de Bois, and uh, and it provided vital uh, vegetables for the army that was here, for the troops. Uh, And that continued with the British and the Americans. and so we do have a garrison garden that represents 1758 and what the soldiers were growing that year. And our staff then utilizes those um, that produce and uh, incorporates that into their um, their camp kitchen and their uh, meal time that they create and 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 actually eat. Um, in addition to that, though, you know, right after the revolution, um, almost immediately after the revolution, the Pell family purchased the land here, William Ferris Pell, and put a fence around the fort, which was the earliest act of preservation in America. Um, But Pell also planted beautiful gardens, and the gardens supported the house as well as when the um, family home became a hotel. And then into the 20th century, um, uh, our museum founders, Stephen and Sarah Pell, um, uh, had a beautiful garden, uh, a colonial revival walled flower garden um, installed and planted, um, which uh, was a reminiscence of um, what was the you know the looking back and, and inspired by the history of the garden? So we in total have um, I believe we have six or seven um, gardens on our property, including the wall garden and discovery gardens, a children's garden. We have our farm to table garden, which mm-hmm. we utilize to incorporate into our cafe food. Uh, and so it's just it's such a wonderful experience in that pavilion node area right on the shores of Lake Champlain. Is the fort itself um, uh, go back to the French or the British or the Americans, or was it reconstructed at some point? Yeah, that's a wonderful question, and it's you know it ties in with what I said earlier of the you know the process of studying history and <clears throat> and understanding it and and uh, recreating it, uh, and um, you know whether a historian is writing a book or um, making a recreation of a uniform or or reconstructing or restoring historic structures, it's it's this process that you know of study and analyst uh, analysis and interpretation. So our museum founders, um, Stephen and Sarah Pell in 1908 decided that they would um, restore the fort, uh, reconstruct it in many cases, and establish our museum. Uh, and it's really incredible, Bob, because this is before national parks existed. Uh, and, and it has its foundation, as I mentioned earlier, in 1820 when Stephen Pell's 
great-great-grandfather, William Ferris Pell, purchased this land right after the Revolution Mm -hmm. and put the fence around the fort, and that was the first act of preservation in our nation. And, you know, just incredible. It's in the early Republic period and and, and quite extraordinary. And and Stephen and Sarah's uh, investment and commitment to our nation's history uh, for future generations um, by reconstructing and restoring the fort um, was, again, the earliest uh, act of um, restoration of its kind, mm-hmm. um, you know, to do something of this scale. And uh, so the officers' barracks, about 60% of that stood, and when visitors come today, they can see the lighter mortar uh, in the, 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 the walls of that barracks, uh, which indicates what was the original walls and, what, and then what was the new walls from the 20th century put up on that. Um, that was the most intact of all of our buildings. Um, a lot the uh, soldiers' barracks. It was the outer walls that still stood. Um, our magazine Zawa, which is now our Mars Education Center, was blown up by the French in 1759. Beth Hill, president and CEO of Fort Ticonderoga in Ticonderoga, New York, in the North Country, was our guest on Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5, and heard in the North Country on 1410 and 96.9. This program will be available as a podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.